Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Putney Withrow with you. Coming up in an hour, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist Demarcus Ware will join us on the show. And then the gun show, Mike Gunzelman. He's on uh, around oh, an hour and 20 minutes from now from Outkick.com. He is in studio with us here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Armando Salguero will also join us in between. We'll get the latest and his reaction to Brady's retirement, which, by the way, currently, as it stands, I say that because we were going through this process last year, Tom Brady and J.J. Watt will be in the same Hall of Fame class. So, if off your discussion yesterday about Aaron Rodgers, can you imagine a Hall of Fame class with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt? Maybe the best ever. I mean, I'd have to go through the history of Hall of Fame classes, but can't be many better than that, that's for sure. Chad, what is uh, what's going on with Iowa and Illinois and some ticket issue and controversy between fan bases? I love spicy stories yeah. like this with fans and other schools. So Illinois has this fan group called the Orange Crush with a K. Okay, and apparently they pick one road game to go to a year, um, and they they buy a bunch of tickets and go and support Illinois. So they pick the Iowa game this year, Iowa game upcoming. They bought 200 tickets together to go to Iowa, to Iowa City, to watch this game. And they released this huge statement that they were told this week, upon Iowa figuring out that this was an Illinois fan group, that all of their, um, their tickets were basically disavowed. Okay. They were given a refund, and they're not allowed to go. They go on to say that's unfortunate. They didn't give us enough time to cancel charter buses, to cancel hotels, and everything else for this huge group. So... Iowa obviously gets crushed over this, yeah, right? Immediately, surface level headline. Yeah. yeah, it's like you sold the tickets. Are you really that scared that week that you're gonna, you know, give 200 tickets back and not let them pay for it because you sold to them? So then, Iowa. This is today. They release a statement saying the Iowa Athletics Department became aware of a discounted group ticket order for the Iowa Illinois men's basketball game on behalf of an Illinois chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. In following up with that organization, it became clear this was not factual. Mm. When contacting the individual who made the original ticket order, they admitted to falsely ordering tickets under the nonprofit organization. Iowa Athletics has refunded the original ticket order and donated tickets to the Boys and Girls Club of Cedar Rapids. We look forward to welcoming these kids to a sold-out Carver Hawkeye Arena this Saturday. Now, this is a great job of PR to save face. If you're Iowa, it's perfect. if the tickets were purchased under false pretense the way they claim, Iowa has the right to do that. I would also say, just let them have the tickets, right? I mean... Yeah, but if you're, if you're doing it for the discount, then... Yeah, they got the discount, with the, you know, that's claiming wrong. they were that. So, I guess Iowa wins in this little back and they forth do. in yeah. the end. And they're giving the tickets away to the charity, to the Boys and Girls Club of Cedar Rapids, Iowa instead, which was a good move by them. It's a great pull here. I I hadn't seen that on social. Uh, Speaking of winning, Denver wins the bidding for Sean Payton 
And with more, we say hello to Mike Kliss from Nine News out in Denver, longtime Broncos reporter. Mike, thank you for the time and perspective today, man. We appreciate you. Sure, they won the bidding. That's uh, we hadn't put it like that, but uh, I suppose you're right. They well, did win the bidding. Yeah, and I mean, he was the hottest name. We talked about him all year, and I mean, ultimately, uh-huh. whenever he had the the chat. Uh, with uh, New Orleans about the compensation, we got the sense that he wanted to get back into coaching. Was was Sean Payton number one on their list, or does the last week of all the reporting, Mike, and you'll know of flying Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. or trying to get uh, you know what, what's going on with with uh, Houston and trying to make sure that D'Amico Ryan's here's another offer. What really happened, and what was a back and forth between three coaches that they wanted? Yeah. First of all, it's a little complicated. Had Sean Payton, the the Broncos, Greg Penner and George Payton, Condoleezza Rice, had identified Sean Payton as the best head coaching candidate for the Broncos pretty much throughout. It was kind of tied between him and Jim Harbaugh going in. They were the guys to beat because they were proven winners. They were experienced. The Broncos' three previous uh, head coaches were first-time Head coaches didn't work out. All three of them uh, wound up getting fired before the end of their contracts. So they wanted an experienced head coach if they could. And going into the process, Jim Harbaugh, with all his success, and Sean Payton, with all his NFL success, uh, were the the guys to beat. D'Amico Ryans then uh, impressed the group with his interview. They took another look. They, They had done research on him and Talked to a lot of people, and he looks like a very special coaching talent. Uh, uh, leadership, uh, um, you know, times times twenty five. Uh, he's he's just a tremendous leader. So they there there were times because Sean Payton had the draft pick compensation attached, and uh, uh, there were times where he was not the leading candidate. They looked at Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh twice said he was going back to Michigan. They looked at D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico's wife, Jamila, is from Houston, has all kinds of family there, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. And and so that became for personal reasons. Plus, D'Amico was drafted by the Texans. A real strong personal attachment that D'Amico Ryans had to the Houston area, much less the Texans. So uh, when that passed, I would say Thursday of last week, even though Sean Payton was there and they were talking to him all along, there was dialogue all along, um, there was a maybe all along, I would say Thursday night of last week, it really zeroed in on Sean Payton. And uh, so that's where it was. Uh, but they get it, they had to get that compensation down. Um, they gave up two first and two seconds last year for Russell Wilson. So they weren't ideally uh, suited to get a coach who was also going to require top draft picks. So the Broncos wound up uh, getting uh, Mickey Loomis uh, down to uh, the first round pick, which was number 29 overall. And then they flipped the uh, 2024 draft pick compensation. Broncos give up a second. That's diluted by getting back a third. So ultimately, the way the Broncos looked at it um, is uh, they traded Bradley Chubb because they got that first-round pick 
that they gave to New Orleans, that first round pick they had acquired in midseason for Bradley Chubb from Miami. So I think in the Broncos' minds, it was Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton. And they had liked to keep them both. They love Bradley Chubb, and they're going to miss Bradley Chubb. But um, the head coach is, it, you know, is one of the top two most important people in uh, the NFL game, the head coach and the quarterback. And the fact that the Broncos put all this investment in the quarterback last year, Russell Wilson, and he fell off from his previous uh, experience, Sean Payton, as a head coach, not only fixes head coach, but it's two and one. They hope he's also the guy to fix Russell Wilson. And uh, so that's why he became number one. He became the best choice in the end. He was always the best choice in the beginning, but the strings attached brought other candidates, Jim Harbaugh and D'Amico Ryans, into the conversation. And it felt a bit like a, a college search with the, the reports that they uh, Penner and uh, George Payton, the general manager, flew to Ann Arbor to get a face-to-face chat with, with Jim Harbaugh. How did that come about, and what really happened with that dynamic? Um, and it, I took it as they were circling back to all three, and they were not going to leave this coaching search without one of the three. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I, I do think so. I, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't George Payton who went. It was uh, Greg Penner and his wife, Carrie, who went okay. to uh, Ann Arbor for this uh, uh, covert a meeting with Jim Harbaugh. It did get out. Uh, it got out uh, two or three days later um, about, about that meeting. And I'm not sure how far it went as far as, you know, was there an understanding that an offer was made? There wasn't really officially an offer made from what I understand. Um, I do think they, from what I understand, they they had agreed to kind of continue to go forward. And then the next morning, near as I can tell, Jim Harbaugh called uh, the penner back and said, no, I can't leave my guys. And so um, that's the that's the best as I understand it. And talking to a lot of people, um, the Broncos say no offer was was ever made, and that's probably uh, officially correct, technically correct. But uh, they're obviously interested. Otherwise, you don't go see them. Right. Uh, well, you know, nine days after he had already committed to going back to Michigan, so um, Harbaugh was there. And then when it, the timing was such when Harbaugh said no, that's when D'Amico kind of jumped to the forefront. And that lasted about 24 hours. And D'Amico put out word that he wanted to go to Houston. So then that's when it uh, that's when they started uh, really zeroing in on Sean Payton. And again, they always knew Sean Payton was the right guy because of he's the only guy of the candidates or it's the quarterback whisperer for Russell Wilson. See, Jim Harbaugh is a heck of a head coach, great head coach. And he did wonders with the quarterbacks in the 49ers. Alex Smith was basically a number one overall bust that he resurrected into a 13 and three NFC championship game quarterback. Uh, Then he goes the next year to uh, Colin Kaepernick, this raw untested uh, athlete uh, who could fire the ball hundred miles an hour and he got, uh, you know, he had first and goal at the five, second and goal at the five in the Super Bowl to beat his brother. Didn't complete the passes and lost the game. Um, I mean, Harbaugh was that, but but as far as working with quarterbacks, Sean Payton was the best of, was even better than Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh, 
you know, was a great candidate for setting the culture and establishing a winning program as he's done everywhere. University of San Diego, Stanford, 49ers, Michigan. Um, uh, they, they, they were both, another thing that they liked about both Harbaugh and um, Sean Payton is that they're, they're tough coaches. They're tough on players. They're tough on their coaches. Um, after Nathaniel Hackett, who had the, uh, the bro hug style and make things every uh, fun. I still think that style works too. And, uh, it, it didn't work here. So they wanted to go kind of 180 from that. They wanted tough coaching. They wanted to put this, these players who have lost for six or seven years on edge. And so that's why, uh, Peyton and, and Harbaugh were the top two to beat. The compensation of the draft picks was a problem. But uh, they got around it as best they could. They still had to give up quite a bit. I think the Saints won too. You know, uh, yeah. Sean Payton wasn't their coach, and they got a first-round pick. Um, they they were motivated to get something because had the Broncos not finished the deal for Sean Payton, the Saints probably would have been left with nothing. <laughs> so uh, you know, they did a good job getting that first-round pick um, for a coach that basically wasn't theirs anymore. And uh, Broncos gave up a little more than they had that they wanted to, but not near as bad as the Saints initially asked for. Saints initially asked for two first rounds and a second round, which was the deal uh, John Gruden uh, created when he went from Oakland to Tampa Bay in 2002. And they got him down from there. Hey, Mike, first off, uh, thanks for joining us and condolences for having to sit and cover the entirety of Nathaniel Hackett's tenure as a head coach. I know that had to be painful to watch. It was painful to watch Russell Wilson this year in that Nathaniel Hackett offense. I guess the main question I have for Sean Payton and the Broncos moving forward is, is Russell Wilson able to be fixed at this point in his career? Because we know that's Payton's number one task. Yeah, first of all, I'm not ready to, to say it was Nathaniel Hackett's fault. I think we need another year of context before um, – really drawing the, the, the final conclusion on what went wrong with the Broncos in 2022. Obviously, it was a disaster of a season. And um, But why right now they're going to blame Hackett? He took the brunt of the fall. And th the, the feeling is the verdict is still out on – the verdict is still out on um, Russell Wilson. And we'll see if uh, – Sean Payton can fix that. If he can't, uh, then 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 we will know it wasn't Hackett. <laughs> so that's what you're going to find out. I do think, I personally, as I sit here today, uh, Russell Wilson played well at times, uh, enough times, and played well in the last two games when they changed the offense for him. Um, I, I I think he is uh, has a chance to get back to Russell Wilson of. Uh, uh, you know, of years past with the Seattle Seahawks, maybe that, maybe not the 2013, 2014, 2019 version of Russell Wilson, um, but the the 2020 uh, and, and 21 before he got hurt, that version of Russell Wilson. He's not, you know, he's an athletic quarterback, and he has lost a little bit athletically as ter as terms of uh, uh, burst and and speed. Um, but when he did take off and run, and it usually happened at the end of games, he looked pretty good. So I think um, 
Sean Payton said on his Fox telecast during the year, he would look at Russell Wilson's greatest hits from Seattle when he was asked how to fix them. He'd look at uh, his greatest hits, top 40 plays, and, you know, uh, reestablish the offense that fits, that, that gets Russell Wilson to do that again. So I think rather than the shotgun pack pocket quarterback, uh, stay in the pocket uh, passer that Russell Wilson tried to become um, in 2022. I think you're going to see him. First of all, you're going to see a greater emphasis on the running game. Um, I, I think he's going to call the play that Sean Payton calls not audible as much as he did at the line that we heard he did uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, not audible out of runs. You're running the you're running the ball here, and then your play action. I think if that happens and, you know, I think Russell Wilson will be an effective quarterback for the Broncos in 2023. And if not, I think Sean Payton will uh, be the type that say, sorry, Russ, you're not getting it done. Uh, we're putting somebody else in and then we'll we'll take it from there and see how that develops. But that's, uh, you know, that's a hypothetical. Um, but I, I do think Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, I think it's it's going to work as best as it possibly can for Russell Wilson. Mike, my, my first reaction to the Sean Payton trade and, and then signing him with the Broncos was, this is a move fitting of a Walton. <laughs> and then I start thinking about the Walton, now the richest, uh, not just deal, but the richest group to own an NFL team. Have you been able to tell anything about what this could look like now with Rob Walton and his group owning the Denver Broncos and what that may look like moving forward? Well, they're going to have all resources uh, is not going to be a problem. But they had resources, believe it or not, they had resources before. When Joe Ellis was running the team, the Broncos still, you know, uh, for five years, when Joe Ellis and John Elway were running the team, the Broncos won five AFC West uh, championships and went to two Super Bowls and won one in 2015. Now, that same leadership group, uh, you know, it, it it didn't get it done in uh, the last five or six years. And I don't, you know, they struggle with a the quarterback. They struggle with the coach. And so it's not, you know, ownership only comes into play. Someone told me this. There, there's there's four pillars to an NFL team. It's, uh, it's the owner. It's the general manager. It's the head coach. And it's the quarterback. Those are the four pillars to a successful NFL franchise. Really, the only time ownership comes into play. And, uh, you know, this is why some, some of the, the cheaper owners still have good teams. The only time ownership comes into play is when there's one of those other three pillars that uh, are crumbling. And, uh, you know, right now, the, uh, the, the head coach crumbled, so to speak. Um, and so the owner stepped in and got the best coach and, and no expense was spared. The, you know, uh, Sean Payton's not coming cheap. Jim Harbaugh wasn't going to come cheap. Uh, Rob Walton, by the way, is the controlling owner, but he's really left the operations of the team to his son-in-law, Greg Penner. Greg Penner is the CEO, and uh, he's, he's uh, running the team. His wife, Carrie, is very much involved. Condoleezza Rice who has just a small uh, percentage of the team financially um, has a lot of hand in the, the, in the team. 
So uh, she was part of the uh, ownership search. So um, they'll have every available resource. They had it before, but that's why I say it's about the coach and the quarterback um, and, and, and the GM too, George Payton, to get this right. Russell Wilson to Denver, top one of the top storylines of last year, and it remains there, now paired with Sean Payton for the Broncos. Mike Kliss uh, covers the Broncos for Nine News, uh, longtime Broncos reporter there. Uh, Mike, thank you for the perspective. Appreciate you as you always. It, and, and no doubt with this storyline progressing, we will uh, we'll check back in. All right. Thanks a All lot, right. guys. Appreciate it. There's Mike Kliss. And uh, coming up, Armando Salguero will join us. Looking at it from... Uh, the league-wide storyline angle, we lead with Tom Brady. There are still two openings with the Arizona Cardinals and the Indianapolis Colts. We'll get Armando's take on that. And a defensive coach that seems like was able to listen to offers from Sean Payton to the Broncos that chose to stay where he was. We'll tell you that next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. One of our favorite segments of the week. Armando Salguero joins us as we return here on Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Armando, hope you're well. And uh, Chad and I were surprised with Brady's retirement announcement. What was your initial reaction? Well, if you guys were surprised, I'm sticking with you. Okay. I was surprised. Um, you know, now in hindsight, obviously, he did it on February 1st. He did it on February 1st last year and then changed his mind in March of last year. He's not changing his mind this time. And, you know, I, I talked to his quarterback coach, Clyde Christensen, um, who was his quarterback coach the last three years. And Clyde said something that resonated with me. And he said it was kind of sad because we've kind of grown up with, the NFL and Tom Brady. It, it's an entire generation of people on the planet who have never seen NFL games that have not included games that included Tom Brady uh, on particular weeks. And that is coming now, you know, in 2023. I don't, I don't think I like that. I, I don't think I like that at all. I can't, you know, I, I enjoy watching uh, a great master do his job. That's why I love your show. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, Chad's here. Yeah, thank you. I love how you use master, not plural, when you said that, Armand. I do appreciate that, that you think I'm masterful well, of my job. I think of you guys as one. Yeah, you that's are, right. Shutting. We're, we're, we're the same. Shutting. We're just combined into one individual. That's right. You're one heartbeat. And, you know, <laughs> so look, he's going to go do what he's going to go do. And it's the next chapter and goodie for him. But I don't love it. What do you, how would you describe his season on the field? Challenged on and off. Yeah. And, and again, Clyde made it very 
very clear. So to, to recap, he lost his left guard to retirement. He lost his right guard to free agency. On the second day of training camp, the center goes down with an injury that kept him out the entire regular season. Rob Gronkowski, his security blanket, retired. And I spoke to Rob Gronkowski a couple of weeks ago, and he's not coming back and wasn't coming back next year. So there's that. Uh, they had Goodwin, or God, excuse me, Godwin, who was coming off a major ACL, MCL uh, repair and wasn't himself all year long. And on top of that, they couldn't run the ball. They had the, I think, 31st or 32nd ranked run game in the NFL. So you've got no protection, no run game, no interior line, which, is, which has been his, his problem in, in the past. You don't have your security blanket. Julio Jones isn't really that guy anymore and, and hasn't been for a few years. And, oh, yeah, your wife is, is divorcing you and you're worried about when you can see your children and, and getting that sorted out as well. Yeah, pretty crappy mm -hmm. all around. So when you eliminate Tom Brady from that game of quarterback musical chairs that's about to take place this offseason – does it make that picture more clear for you, Armando? Or is it still so muddled at this point that it's hard to put two and two together about where every available quarterback is going to fall? Right. So clearly this, is, this was going to be a two-pronged quarterback carousel offseason. Brady was unrestricted, and we were wondering what he's going to do. And then the other prong is Aaron Prong Rodgers. Mm -hmm. Uh, because he's got to decide whether he's going to play or not. And then once he makes that decision, then the Green Bay Packers will decide, will he play here or will, he, will we trade him, go with Jordan Love, and he can go elsewhere. So the whole Aaron Rodgers situation is the next big thing that will happen. It won't happen until after the Super Bowl because – Aaron Rodgers has a lot of respect for the teams in the game and the game itself and the about to take any attention away from that, at least according to him. Um, and so after that, you know, you've got Derek Carr, you've got Matt Ryan, you've got Baker Mayfield, you've got Sam Darnold. Those are not guys that I think most teams are thinking will add them and we're Super Bowl bound. Armando Salguero, our guest from Outkick.com on Outkick 360. Um, seeing the reports that in, in Indy, they're going for a round three of interviews. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we still don't know what Arizona is going to do either. What do you make of the two openings? And I mean, are you are you in the camp that it's Jeff Saturday in Indy and we're just waiting on this? Like, what? Why do we need a round three if that's the case? I'm in the camp of it's stupid is as stupid <laughs> does in Indy because so look at the list of people that they've interviewed: Rich Basaccia, who's very good mm -hmm. as a special teams guy, 
He was the Raiders interim coach last year. Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator of the Bengals. Ejiro Iviro of the Broncos defensive coordinator. Wink Martindale is the Giants defensive coordinator. Raheem Morris is the defensive coordinator of the Rams. Aaron Glenn is the defensive coordinator of the Lions. And Saturday was the interim coach. Where's John Harbaugh? Where, excuse me, where's Jim Harbaugh in that? Because to me, make the case that any of those guys are more accomplished than Jim Harbaugh. 44-19-1, I think, is the record for Harbaugh, to your point. Right. And, I mean, he played in Indy. Uh, they called him Captain Comeback, right? I, I covered the game. This is how old I am. I covered that uh, AFC championship game where the the um, Harbaugh and the Colts, well, it wasn't an AFC championship game. It was a, a divisional game, whatever it was. They went to Pittsburgh. Harbaugh throws a, a, a Hail Mary, the last play of the game, and it was almost caught, and it would have changed NFL history right there. But – the point being that, to me, he is the obvious choice, and yet ownership doesn't want to pull the trigger, and they really, you know, Jim Irsay really likes Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday did less with the Colts than Frank Reich did. Frank Reich, the guy that Jim Irsay fired for not doing enough. Armando, do you think that the Arizona Cardinals and their contractual commitment to Kyler Murray is possibly a holdup in coaches they're interviewing that may otherwise want to take that job? Um, well, I mean, we can't I don't I don't think it would be right, Chad, to generalize and just cover that whole search with one statement. I'm sure that for some that applies. And as you've seen, there have been some coaches that have bowed out of that process. Uh, most notably Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, former Atlanta Falcons head coach, who took them to the Super Bowl, by the way. And he bowed out. Sean Payton bowed out. Uh, you know, others have bowed out. Some of them are fine. Some of them are all on board. And if they get offered the job, they're, they're going to be into it, including Lou Anaromo, Mike Kafka, Vance Joseph, um, Aaron Glenn, those guys will be into it. And so they, they understand that Kyler Murray comes with the job, but there are definitely some people that understood that, I'll interview and we're going to see what you say about, you know, let's, let's address this situation. Armando, there's a big statement made that kind of was met with silence in reaction because all the news this week, Vic Fangio is deciding to go be the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins with Mike McDaniel. What message did that send to you knowing the inner workings of the franchise and knowing Vic Fangio, what he's done as a coordinator the options that he had, and he's choosing to pair up with the young head coach.
and you may not be able to hear us now. Okay. No, I, I hear you now. Okay. Pair up with Daniel, you're yeah. saying? Yeah, Fangio. Right. So uh, he agreed to this like three weeks ago. Okay. And Tom Pelissero did a very good job for NFL media in breaking that story. And then Vic Fangio started getting feelers from other teams and possibilities he might end up elsewhere. Um, he liked the idea of joining Harbaugh if Harbaugh got a job. He thought, you know, that he might work out in Denver if, if, um, if Peyton wanted him to come and things, you know, worked out smoothly. They didn't. And San Francisco came open. And so he thought about that. San Francisco didn't want Vic Fangio. San Francisco runs a 4-3, and Vic Fangio runs a 3-4, and San Francisco wasn't about to change to a 3-4 and ask potential defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, to do something other than kick everybody's behind playing, you know, three, uh, three technique. So, um the bottom line is Vic Fangio agreed to something and then he started looking around. It's like the guy that gets that, that gets uh, engaged and then a lot of pretty girls start to flirt with him. And now he's thinking, but and he's got a roaming eye. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, he's already bought the twelve thousand dollar <laughs> diamond ring and the wedding date is set. And the wedding date for Vic Fangio and the Miami Dolphins is the day after the Super Bowl. Except so the, that's going to happen. Except the Dolphins got down on one knee and proposed, not the other way around. Well, I mean, he agreed. Yeah. Right? Sure. He agreed. He accepted and the uh, proposal. Nowadays, it doesn't matter if well, yeah. the male or the female asks. <laughs> well, yeah, especially in Miami, right, where you've got the young Mike McDaniel. And uh, he's got – I mean, this is great for him. Very and, progressive. Yes, but great for him. And two was out of concussion protocol finally after a month. L let me let me uh, backtrack on the very good for the Dolphins. Okay. Um, once upon a time, Nick Saban mm -hmm. was very happy at LSU. Was won a national championship at LSU, and NFL teams came calling, and one after another, he turned them down. Then in 2005, the Miami Dolphins and Wayne Huizinga, who's the owner then, came calling, and Nick Saban turned them down. And Wayne Huizinga came back and got turned down and came back again and got turned down and came back again, and finally Nick Saban relented. Well, Nick Saban came to Miami, and the guy that came to Miami was a guy that wasn't really sure he wanted to be there. Mm. And then he found out his wife didn't want to be there at all. I say all that to say this. The Dolphins are getting Vic Fangio. They're doing the same thing again with Vic Fangio. It's, it's the same thing. They're trying, <laughs> excuse me, to, to, to convince a guy that had his eyes set somewhere else. I'm just putting that out there. Armando Salguero, you can read 
more of his analysis, opinion, and his coverage of the NFL, outkick.com, uh, right now. Armando, always great, man. Thank you. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have more quarterback news next week as we uh, sit in, in Arizona. You're going to the Super Bowl, aren't you? We'll be there. We'll be there. You'll be joining will you us, right? you let me sit in your presence? Let's go. Bring it. We uh, we will get down on one knee, Armando, yeah, and propose, we'll propose to you oh, yeah, right. to just are, sit in our presence. This one heart will propose this, to you This in heartbeat right here that you see between the two of us, the one heart we will propose, <laughs> we'll both get on one knee, and hopefully you will be sitting right in between us <laughs> in Arizona for a full maybe hour of the show. What do, what do you say? Will you have us, Armando? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends on the... On, on the the size of the ring, we'll see. We'll see. You Everything could, is transactional. Everything in life is transactional, uh, Armando. He's still I accepting offers, Armando Salguero. Uh, options are open for him. Uh, see you next week, man. We appreciate you. There he is, Armando we, Salguero. We look forward to Armando's visit with Bussin' with the Boys next week on Radio <laughs> Row, and not with us. They'll offer a bigger rock. Um, man. So I thought everyone that left the Tar Heels program was cool with. UNC. That's not the case. Thought it was a family, Hutton. Not the case. Once with a Tar Hill, always Jason a Tar Hill. And, and what took place as, I mean, Pitt, they shouldn't have much to complain about, right? They won on the road. Yeah. And post game, they were complaining. Some anger. We'll play the audio for you next, Mount Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. DeMarcus Ware will join us in 12 minutes on OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Hutton and Withrow with you. Uh, Chad, last night, a report out of the postgame of UNC and Pitt, where Pitt went on the road and won, where Jason Capel is heard going at, you know, speaking out loud about the UNC fan base and not treating him well. And the report from Mitchell Northam, uh, which you can read, uh, where he's yelling outside the pit locker room last night. Yeah, so Mitchell Northam writes, Jason Capel, again, assistant coach to Jeff Capel. His brother, Jeff Capel, former Duke star. Jason Capel, former North Carolina star. Jeff and Jason now on the staff at Pittsburgh, who beat North Carolina on the road. Jason Capel yelling outside of the pit locker room, y'all going to disrespect me. All I did for this program, y'all going to boo me. I held this bleep together when Matt Doherty tore it apart. And then he says a couple of expletives that we cannot say, which prompted a question in the post-game press conference. And Jeff Capel had this response to what was going on. It's been, um, my brother loves the school. He dreamt of coming here as a player when, when, when we were little, when he was little. And, you know, we grew up here. My family moved to Virginia. Uh, I think my brother was going to ninth grade. This is the place that he always dreamt of playing. And he wore that jersey with a lot of pride. And since he's left here, there's been a lot of disrespect towards him. And 
one thing happened today, and I don't think it's coming from within the basketball program. And I don't know who controls their social media, but there was a tweet and I hope I was hoping he didn't see it. I'm not on social media. One of the guys on my staff showed it to me where, you know, again, I get social media, Twitter, you try to be funny, you try to do whatever, but I, I thought it was them trolling him. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a complicated relationship with him in North Carolina. He loves it. But I think at times he doesn't feel that back. And I don't know, you know, it started, to be honest with you, in 2009, we played North Carolina when I was in Oklahoma to go to the Final Four. And my brother was there with my whole family supporting me. He had an OU shirt on. And the Carolina fans were pretty towards excuse my language, but pretty, pretty nasty. And it took one of the former players to say something. And, you know, for me, it's just really interesting, man, because again, I grew up in this state and this is one of the most tradition-laden programs in the history of college athletics, not just college basketball. And you hear about the Carolina family. And it's just amazing to me that their social media people would do that. I don't think it's Hubert. Hubert's awesome. I mean, he really is. I don't think it's the players on the team. They are incredibly respectful and really good young guys. Obviously the game was emotional <laughs> and that's the way it's supposed to be as you get into February. But to answer your question. So what was the disrespect that was shown to Jason Capel by the North Carolina social media team? Well, they put on their game sort of online program, which every team shows something like this for every single game. They posted game number 22, North Carolina versus Pitt, and they had a walk-on son of an assistant coach, Lebo, on the cover wearing Jason Capel's number 25 with his tongue out. So Hutton, that leads us to a discussion on just how disrespectful is this if you're Jason Capel, and how did both sides handle it? Well, we need to know the details of what's gone down since 2009, where this stems from where Jason Capel's at Oklahoma, and he met up with UNC in the Elite Eight. And everything points back to them based on what you read and hear. But the details behind all that um, will lead us to what that is. Is this some cheap jab? Or as Carolina said, from their end of things, we didn't mean any disrespect by this. From a social media stance, this is like, from the 30,000-foot view, tame. It's a guy running down the court in a UNC jersey wearing 25. Um, you've got to be pretty entrenched with the storyline of this to get that inside joke. Um, and clearly, if you're inside the news of that, the information of that, you know it wouldn't be received as a joke by the Capels. Right, you're ready to get upset and get yeah. mad if you're yeah. them. Yes, and they if if they did this on purpose, um, you know that they're going to have that reaction, right? Do I think some social media person knew the backstory of all this? Not to the level that Jeff Cable's discussing. I don't think so. If he's if he's being uh, he's telling the truth that he doesn't think it's from anyone within the basketball program. Who would know the details of this storyline? I, I would think they would know. Obviously, they know who Jason Capel is and what number sure. he wore. 
Um, do they know the entire backstory to the level that the Capels know it? Probably not. Uh, I oh, do by think, the way, this guy's played two minutes all year. That's yeah, the other factor I, here. I think that there's some next-level the trolling the... here to use this player, right, in this sure. moment for that game but, that Jason and Jeff Capel were ready to just trounce on the moment they saw something. I'll also say this is a cautionary tale for North Carolina. Wait to do something like this after you win at home. I wouldn't put this out the day of because that's clearly a talking point in the locker room right after they beat you at home. When Pitt did, when he's screaming in the locker room about how they disrespected him and reporters can hear it outside the locker room, that's not great for North Carolina, who, oh, by the way, preseason number one is not even close to the top 25 right now, which mm. has been one of the big disappointments in college basketball this season. That's the bigger storyline, right? Yeah. Yeah, But you put this out pregame, eliciting the reaction that they received. If you had malicious intent with how it was going to be received by by the brothers. Again, and specifically Jason. I thought Jeff Capel in the video, the audio that we heard, handled it very well. That was great. Yeah. I mean, and he answered the question. He went through the backstory and talked about why he and his brother feel disrespected by the school and made sure to say this isn't Hubert Davis. This isn't their players. It's their social media team doing well, but, it. But if you if you follow the history of this, it goes. it's, it's, it's absolutely more well, than just some social it's media It's North Carolina fans. So now it's suddenly... He's not saying it's Hubert Davis booing right, his right, brother, right. but it's the North Carolina quote-unquote family, which, oh, by the way, is kind of funny coming from a Dukey. Right? It's a Duke guy yeah. getting to sort of throw shade at the North Carolina family, betraying one of their own. DeMarcus Ware, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist, joins us next.